Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, Thanksgiving Day was drawing near. The first grade teacher gave her students a fun little assignment to draw a picture of something that they're thankful for. So a lot of the students drew what you would think they would draw. A lot of them drew uh, turkeys. Some drew um, pictures of uh, their family feasts. Others uh, drew pilgrims. But one boy, Douglas, drew something kind of different. See, Douglas was a different kind of boy. He was a frail and depressed little boy with a terrible home life. He didn't really play with the other students much, but he spent his free time and his recess time very close to his teacher's side. So when they were asked to draw something they were thankful for, Douglas grabbed his crayon and, and drew something, and it ended up just being a hand. Nothing more, just a, a simple, empty hand. His drawing captured the imagination of the other students as the teacher asked them, whose hand do you think this is? So one of the students said, oh, that looks like the hand of a farmer. Another student says, that might be the hand of a police officer. And yet another student said, that might be the hand of God. And finally, the teacher paused at Douglas's desk, bowed close to him, got close to him, and asked him whose hand it was. And Douglas responded, whispered these three words to her. Your hand, teacher. That's your hand. See, suddenly then the teacher remembered all the times she had taken Douglas by his hand and walked him here or there. Or all the times she said, take my hand, Douglas, follow me, it's okay. Or let me show you how to hold on to your pencil. Or come on, Douglas, let's do this together. See, Douglas was most thankful for his teacher's hand, the hand that guided him each day with care and compassion, the hand that walked with him and encouraged him. So today, we arrive at week six in our study um, through uh, our Holy Roar series. And the psalm that we're looking at today, Psalm 145, encourages us to think about God's hand at work in our lives and encourages us to praise him for his hand in our lives. Because we don't always sense God's hand. We don't always see God's hand at work. It's so easy for us to lose focus and to get distracted and put our minds on other things. So God's inviting us this morning to see just how much his hand is actually at work in our lives. The hand that formed us, the hand that leads us, the hand that feeds us, the hand that reaches down to us in unfailing love. So Psalm 145 is an invitation for us this morning to sing God's praise 
for endless days. Sing God's praise for endless days. And as you already noticed, today's format does uh, look a little different. We're going to intersperse our songs of worship throughout the sermon. So we're going to read a portion of scripture, talk about it for a little bit, and then respond to God's revelation of himself in that scripture through song. Because packaged inside Psalm 145's encouragement to sing God's praise for endless days, what we're going to see are six specific reasons why we should praise God this way, why God is actually worthy of our unending, unceasing worship. So we'll have an opportunity, like I said, to reflect on scripture and then respond in song to what God is revealing to us about himself. So here's the first reason that we have to praise God. Number one is praise God for the greatness of his name. Praise God for the greatness of his name. So Psalm 145 starts out with the title of this psalm, and he says, A Song of Praise of David. Now, what's interesting here is that out of all 150 psalms, this is the only psalm that has this title, A Song of Praise. And it's here in this title where we're actually introduced to our sixth Hebrew word. Our sixth Hebrew word is the word tehillah, tehillah. Now, tehillah is the word here for song when it says a song of praise, a tehillah of praise. And you can see uh, the way it's spelled over there. Uh, You have a a tav, a he, a lamed, and a he, and together that's teh. And in the middle, you have the hil, and then ah. So tehillah. Let me hear you say that. Tehillah. Very good. So here's a simple definition. What tehillah means, it's simply a hymn or song of praise offered to God as an act of worship. So Psalm 145 is a tehillah of praise, a song of praise. In fact, the plural of this word is tehillim. And uh, that's actually the title for the book of Psalms. See, we understand the book of Psalms as the book of Psalms, but in Hebrew, it's actually called the book of tehillim. So that's the actual word for psalms. So it goes on in verse 1, and David says this. He says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. So the other thing I'll do is I'll point out some of the other words that we've learned so far. There's like four of the other Hebrew words interspersed throughout this passage. So right here, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless Barak to adore on bended knee. Bless your name forever and ever. So David sets the tone here in verse 1 by establishing who he's praising. He's praising his magnificent God and king who reigns over all. See, the earthly king David recognizes that there's only one true king, and his name is Yahweh. He's the only king. His name is so great that it commands the praise of his people. David was committed to praising God, so he says, I will extol you. Verse 2, every day I will bless you, barak you, and praise your name forever and ever. Halal is the word praise there. Halal your name forever and ever. See, his praise of God overflows in unending worship with a commitment to praise God day and night for all of eternity. Every day we should praise God. But it won't just happen automatically. It requires an act of the will. True praise always involves the will. We must make the choice to exalt God instead of any other false gods or idols or distractions that compete for our affection. Because here's the hard truth. 
every single one of us in this room praises someone or something. Everyone. So it's simply a matter of how you finish the sentence, I will praise blank. Maybe you finish that, I will praise money. I will praise fame. I will praise my career. I will praise power. Or I will praise myself. However you might answer that this morning, understand that God wants you to recommit to praising him alone. That's what he's calling us to, to praise him alone. Why? Verse 3 tells us, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, halal, and his greatness is unsearchable. See, we use this word great all the time. It's, it's like lost its meaning. We use the word great to describe things like celebrities, athletes, cities, or, or even food and restaurants. Some even use the word as part of their name, like Alexander the Great. But see, every single human display of greatness pales in comparison to the greatness of God. His greatness is beyond comparison. It's beyond comprehension. As David says, his greatness is unsearchable. No finite being will ever uncover the depths of God's greatness. The best of minds from all the ages using the most advanced technological equipment can't come close to capturing the greatness of God. His greatness is unsearchable. It's incalculable. It's inexhaustible. So how do we respond then to the one whose greatness eclipses the entire known universe and the entire unknown universe. We praise him. Great is the Lord. Amen. So we praise God for the greatness of his name. And then Psalm 145 gives us a second reason to praise God. We praise God for the grandeur of his works. Praise him for the grandeur of his works. See, not only is God himself exceedingly great, but, but his works, his creative activity in the universe and his redemptive acts in human history, his works are marked by grandeur and majesty, so much so that we have a great responsibility to declare his praise, not only amongst each other and to our own generation, but to the next generations. Because this is what verse 4 goes on to say. One generation shall commend your works to another. Commend there is the word shabach that we learned. So one generation shall praise or commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So imagine an endless chain of praise stretched across the ages, link by link by link. The mighty acts of God pass from generation to generation in a sacred inheritance. Mothers and fathers recount the wonders of God to their eager children. Teens sit enthralled at their grandparents' feet as they hear of God's power and faithfulness. Because while God transcends all generations, every single generation must meet God anew. So we carry the mantle of faith, and we encourage the marathon of praise for the generations to come. Verse 5, on the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. So here we're reminded of the importance of filling our affections with God's majestic and wonderful works. The greatest work being the work of Jesus Christ 
on our behalf and his death and resurrection. See, the reason the gospel doesn't get passed down on to the next generation is largely because God's people lose focus of it. It's easy to lose focus, but we must remember we're always just one generation away from losing the gospel. So meditate on it. Be edified by it. Know it deeply and teach it to the next generation. And when we do this, we get to watch our youths, our children, and our grandchildren speak of the grandeur of God's works. Verse 6, they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. See, God's awesome deeds echo across the ages, throughout the generations. Consider the wonders of creation that display his power and his glory, right? The complexity of a single cell under a microscope reveals God's divine engineering. Or the elegant symmetry of a snowflake shows God's creative artistry. Or the thunderous roar of a waterfall sings of God's creative majesty. Verse 7, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. See, though God rules the entire universe, this king is ultimately and intimately involved in our lives. His hands, the same hands that crafted the cosmos and and the galaxies beyond, are the very same hands that engraved our names on the palms of him. So teach the next generation these truths. Lead the next generation in his word, that they would know of the God, personally, that they would know of the God who splits the seas, that they would know of the God who raises the dead, that they would know of the God who opens blind eyes. And may each generation gaze upon the grandeur of God's works and then be compelled to join us in singing a song of praise across the generations. So the greatness of God's name and the grandeur of his works signal to us something even greater, something even more wonderful, and that's the goodness of God's nature. So now we come to our third reason to praise God. We praise God for the goodness of his nature. Look at verse 8. It says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. See, David now is highlighting core aspects of God's profoundly good character. First, he's gracious. The Lord is gracious, meaning he freely grants his favor on the undeserving. There's no way to earn his gifts. That's not possible. His good gifts simply arise out of the infinite goodness of his being. So not only then is God gracious, but we also see that he's merciful, God is gracious and he's merciful. His compassion towards us abounds even in our pitiful, rebellious state. Despite our sin, God's heart, God's will is always to redeem and to restore. So he's gracious, he's merciful, and then God is also slow to anger, another attribute that we see here of God. See, unlike humans, God doesn't fly into fits of rage over a petty slight to his pride. Instead, he endures all of our insults, all of our failings with remarkable patience. The one who sustains all things is 
in no rush whatsoever. And undergirding all of this, undergirding his grace and his mercy and his slowness to anger, undergirding all of this is his steadfast love. Meaning God's love is, is loyal, and his kindness is unfailing, and his compassion is constant. See, out of his gracious character then flows his gracious care for everything he has made. Look at verse 9. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. So God's goodness extends to every single corner of creation. His compassionate care covers everything. He's not merely good to those who are good. He's not just good to those of us who are his children. He's good to all, even to those who reject him. He so often delays his judgment to extend as many opportunities as possible for the person to come to repentance. I love the way one theologian um, said, said this. He, taught, he, he gave this quote about God's goodness, a, a theologian by the name of Richard Sibbs, um, and he was alive in the 1500s, um, but, but so relevant is what he has to say. Listen what he says here of God's goodness. He says, God's goodness is near us. It is not a goodness far away. But God follows us with his goodness in whatever situation we are. He attaches himself to us. He's made himself close that he might be near us in goodness. He is a father and everywhere to maintain us. He is a husband and everywhere to help. He is a friend and everywhere to comfort and counsel. His love is a near love. He's taken upon himself the closest kinds of relationships so that we may never lack God and the evidences of his love. And he goes on in verse 10. He says, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. Yada is the word thanks. All your works shall give yada to you, O Lord. And all your saints shall bless you. Barak is the word blessed there. So church, let the truth of God's goodness sink deeply into your heart and soul this morning. Because he is good. He knows your failures and your fallings and your frailties, yet he remains slow to anger. He sees you in your sin, yet he responds with kindness and mercy. He lavishes his steadfast love on every single one of us who are completely undeserving of that love. So would you agree that God is good? So the next few verses in Psalm 145 go on to reveal to us a fourth reason why we should sing God's praise for endless days. Here's the fourth reason. We praise God for the glory of his kingdom. Praise him for his glorious kingdom. Verses 11 and 12 go on and they say, They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. See, God's kingdom is so glorious because it's the only kingdom of perfect justice and perfect righteousness. And every single one of us who has put our faith in Christ has been granted citizenship in his kingdom. We're citizens of heaven. That's an identity statement. That's who you are as a follower of Christ. See, as the blessed subjects of his kingdom, then it's our duty to proclaim the glory and majesty and might and power of our incredible king. 
See, in earthly kingdoms, moral decay runs rampant, but not in God's kingdom. God's kingdom is the epitome of righteousness. His ways are holy. His ways are just. His ways are good. His kingdom oozes beauty because its monarch is the essence of goodness. See, there are no successors to God's reign. There's no Yahweh the second. There's only Yahweh. There only ever will be Yahweh. His kingdom will never be overthrown from the outside by human dynasties. It will never collapse on the inside from poor leadership. And yet another thing about this kingdom is that it never ends. Look at verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. See, all earthly kingdoms fade into ruin, every single one. But the kingdom of God doesn't because it's an everlasting kingdom. See, a thousand years before Christ, the Old Testament prophets declared a, a coming kingdom that would never end. Then one day on a hillside overlooking Galilee, Jesus announced that the kingdom had drawn near in himself. The king had come to inaugurate his eternal reign. And though Jesus rode on a donkey, a very humble donkey, that first trip into Jerusalem, make no mistake, the full splendor of his kingdom will one day be revealed in full when he returns on the clouds of glory to consummate his kingdom. And until then... King Jesus still reigns. His purposes cannot be frustrated ever. From his heavenly throne, he rules the nations with truth and with grace. So be encouraged. Be encouraged, those of you who are weary this morning. God's glorious kingdom is here. Though not yet in full, but it's here. And one day our greatest hopes will be realized when every single wrong is made right. And when all suffering, when all injustice vanish forever under Christ's perfect reign. But until that day comes, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to herald the good news of God's kingdom, inviting as many to come and taste and see that our king is good and that his kingdom endures forever. So let's stand and let's sing another song of worship asking God to build his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. God is the sovereign king of our glorious and eternal kingdom. And though he's highly exalted as king, he also cares intimately for his creation and for all of his subjects. So verses 14 through 16 then give us yet another reason why we should sing God's praise for endless days. Now we praise him because he's a generous provider. Praise God for the generosity of his provision. Verse 14 says, The Lord upholds all who are falling, and he raises up all who are bowed down. See, God is so generous and so compassionate and his care for the weak. When we stumble and when we fall under the weight of sin, God lifts us up. When Satan seeks to carry us away or when our enemies oppress us or when adversity slams against us, God is there as our provider. He's there 
as our sustainer. No struggle of ours is too heavy for his strong arm. Verse 15 goes on and says, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. See, as, as the creator God has established the flourishing food chain to nourish all of life. And whether they acknowledge him or not, every single person and every single living creature depends on God for provision. But it's not just physical provision that David's talking about here. God also provides generously for our emotional provision, our relational provision. And his ultimate gift of provision is to meet our spiritual need for a savior. He sent Jesus to rescue us from the guilt and grip of sin. As our perfect father, God pours out his spiritual blessings on us along with giving us our daily bread. The God who paints lilies and feeds sparrows attends to every single detail in our lives with his unfailing love. His storehouses overflow with true satisfaction, satisfying our soul and our body. As verse 16 declares, you open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Church, can I get an amen if you're thankful for God's goodness and greatness? Amen, right? So we praise God. We praise him for the greatness of his name. We praise him for the grandeur of his works. We praise him for the goodness of his nature. We praise him for the glory of his kingdom. And we praise him for the generosity of his provision. And then Psalm 145 gives us one final reason to praise God. We praise God for the gentleness of his mercy. Praise him for his gentle mercy. Verse 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. See, in all of his actions, God is perfectly upright and just. There's not even a hint of unfairness that tarnishes anything he does. Under the scope of his righteousness, every single one of us are guilty of punishment. Every single one of us. Yet because God is both righteous and kind, he lavishes his mercy on the worst of us. And he treats us with grace when we're at our very worst. Because he is righteous, we can trust him completely. And because he's kind, we can approach him as a gentle father, not as a harsh dictator. See, at the cross of Christ, God's righteous wrath was satisfied by his own merciful grace. Now, through Christ, God welcomes everyone into personal relationship with himself. And in Christ, he draws near to every single person who calls on him, as it says in verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. See, God isn't aloof. He's not indifferent to our struggles and our trials. He promises to be near to all who call on him in truth. Whether you're in hunger or sickness, or in danger, or in panic, call on God. Come before God in dependence, in sincerity, and in humility. Because it's through the person of Jesus, who is himself the embodiment of truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's through Jesus that God draws near to us. So come boldly before his throne of grace. Admit your failures. Acknowledge your absolute helplessness and find mercy 
in your time of need. Cease your striving and rest in his gentle embrace because God is eager to answer the prayers of all who revere him and call on him in faith. Verse 19, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. See, while God distances himself from the proud and the arrogant, he responds tenderly to the humble cries of his children. So you could take all of your wants, you could take all of your needs, all of your desires, all, uh, whatever it is that, that's bothering you, that's, that, that, you're, that you're so desperate for, bring all of that to God and receive from him a satisfaction beyond comprehension. You could bring to him every burden. You could bring to him every sin, every tear, every one of your pains, and you could receive from him a peace that passes all understanding. And know that even through the suffering and injustices of life on this earth, God will preserve you for his eternal kingdom. Verse 20, the Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. See, God doesn't force himself on anyone. He doesn't coerce anyone to love him because that wouldn't be love. He honors the choice of wicked people who reject him. He honors the choice of proud people who resist him. But those who love him, those who love King Jesus, belong to him forever. Now, this doesn't mean that we'll have easy lives, but what it does mean is that we have eternally secure lives. Amen? And then we end this psalm exactly where we began, with a commitment to sing God's praise all of our days. Verse 21, my mouth will speak the praise, the tehillah of the Lord, and let all flesh bless Barak, his holy name, forever and ever. See, the only logical response to who God is, the only logical response to what God has done, is doing, and promises to do, the only logical response to all of that is praise. So how will you use your mouth to praise him? Can you think of a particular thing that you're thankful for, a particular reason that you have to praise God, to praise his name? How has he demonstrated goodness in your life? How has he demonstrated gentleness and mercy, and compassion toward you. Think about that. Because next week, you'll have the opportunity to tell us. See, as part of next week's service, we're giving you an opportunity to speak the praise of the Lord by sharing with the rest of us a couple of sentences on uh, thanksgiving to God for who he is, for what he has done in your life. So maybe the Lord is asking you to step out of your comfort zone and to declare these things publicly. If so, follow his lead. Pray about that. Think about that. You'll have an opportunity for that next week. But right now, for all of us, let's respond in gratitude. Let's respond in gratitude to God by praising his name. Because when we see how great God truly is, how grand his works, how good his nature, how glorious his kingdom, how generous his provision, how gentle his mercy, what else can we do but worship him? What else can we do but sing God's praise for endless days? Saints, that's the command from this passage. Sing God's praise for endless days. May all of us be able to say, I will praise you forever and ever, Lord.